Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'm Connor Hope, here with my co-host Brian Ralph, and we're recording this after two pretty big upsets. And I know there's been a lot of upsets, Brian, uh, so far this season, but... It could be any day this season that we're talking about. Right, but uh, Louisville, the fourth number one team (laughs) of the season, just dropped their first game to Texas Tech, and... Mark Turgeon's Maryland finally did what Mark Turgeon's Maryland always does, which is lose a game that they probably should have won because of, of a lot of kind of sloppy play. And as much as Penn State wanted to give that game away, um, there just wasn't really enough time left. So, Yeah, uh, this has been a common theme with Maryland this year, at least getting down early. Um, this is, I think, the seventh game they've played where they trailed by a pretty significant margin. Uh, in the first half and, and sometimes in the early part of the second half. But they were unable to climb out of the hole, and eventually it was going to come back and bite them. I still like the pieces this Maryland team has, uh, but tonight kind of brought back all the reasons why you don't trust a Mark Turgeon team, or at least haven't trusted a Mark Turgeon team until now. Uh, eventually, self-inflicted wounds and turnovers, uh, in this case, are going to come back and, and hurt you. Yeah, and and I think I mean I think we're all underrating uh, Penn State, possibly because Penn State sure. hasn't really lived up to expectations. Um, because we're Penn State. Yeah, and so it, it was it was the tale of two teams nobody really trusts, and mm-hmm. the home team, which was fa- Penn State, was favored coming into this game, uh, ended up winning and, and winning by a pretty significant margin. So. Um, it's just one of those seasons. I think we're both in agreement. Ohio State is going to move into the number one spot should they win this week. Um, 100%. And uh, I just wanted to pose this question to you because I think with all the upsets and uh, big losses to, to unranked teams, ranked teams, teams disappointing – there seems to be uh, a major – I mean, Ohio State right now, after we saw Louisville kind of get stuck when Jordan Noir wasn't scoring, um, seems to be the only team that doesn't have any major flaws. I mean, even Kansas, you can say, because they can't keep two of their best players in DeSouza and, right. and Doak uh, on, the, on the court at the same time, you know, that's a pretty significant issue that they have to work through. Uh, Ohio State's playing definitely the best basketball right now. It doesn't really have many major flaws. Their their upcoming schedule's not impossible to navigate. Uh, they have a neutral site game against Kentucky, which looks a bit raw, um, and Ohio State would probably be favored in that matchup. They go on the road against Maryland mm-hmm. and Penn State. As we mentioned, two teams that aren't necessarily the most trustworthy. And, and it's... And it's I started thinking about this earlier today, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. One of two things is going to happen. Either the rankings later in the season are just going to be fluctuating like crazy all over the place, or if Ohio State wins every game moving forward like they're expected to do and plays well and goes into Ann Arbor and loses you know, by one or two, as some teams do, because mm-hmm. Ann Arbor is a tough place to play— it's one of those situations where if they're clearly the best team in the country 
losses might not have that big an effect on the rankings later in the season because every team's losing. And so you can't really take one mm-hmm. loss for one team and say, oh, that they should be they should move down a significant amount because of that one loss when there's not a single team out there right now that I think is uh, immune to losses. No, not at all. And when it comes to moving down, too, it's hard to move down when teams blow you, lose two, and need to move down as yeah. well. You know, e- either we're going to see little movement or giant leaps up followed by slow tumbles back down the rankings. You know, we're not going to see a 25th ranked team jump to 12 because everybody else <laughs> lost, you know. Um, but I-, I think it's important to remember, too, and we're still sort of at the tail end of football season here, particularly right after football season we tend to view college basketball through a football lens where football, you know, it, it's one week at a time, very short season. So one game matters significantly. And the things that happen in that game get overblown, particularly in college where one loss can be the difference between making the playoff or having a chance to play for championship or not. We treat sometimes college basketball games and NBA games for that matter too, through the same microscope of one game meaning everything, and it doesn't, particularly in November and December. Louisville showed some obvious flaws tonight on the offensive end where if if Jordan Moore is having an off game or or struggling or the opposing team takes him away, nobody stepped up and was able to, to kind of make up for that loss of production. That doesn't mean nobody can. They're a very talented team have a lot of guys who are capable of putting up 20 points a game up and down that roster. They've had guys do it this season. And Texas Tech is a really good defensive team. So it's not the end of the world and Louisville suddenly doesn't suck because they lost by 13 to a Texas Tech team that does have some questionable losses on the resume. It was an off night for Louisville. Now Louisville shouldn't say number one, should be punished, particularly when a team like Ohio State is playing so well right now. But they're not suddenly, you know, not a top 10 team because they lost this game. And it's important to remember as we kind of get back into this mode, uh, particularly in Maryland's case, to go to the other game we're talking about tonight, when they go on the road, it's one of the toughest things to do. And occasionally, uh, Penn State was favored, right? It's rare to have an unranked team be favored over a ranked team. But when you go on the road and play a true road game, that has a very significant impact on the outcome of games. So we, we take some stuff away, and there's obviously going to be times uh, where there are alarm bells that ring, like Louisville's offense in this case. But it's not the end-all, be-all. And Louisville's ceiling suddenly isn't shorter than it was before. They can still win the national championship. There's just an area they have to work on or that was exposed as not being as strong. Yeah, and I, and I also think when it comes down to it, and you're looking at teams for what they are, um, I mean, more often than not, Jordan Noir is going to give you the points you need him to give you. More often than oh, yeah. not, Miles Powell is going to give Seton Hall the points that they need to, him to give. More often than not, Cassius Winston's going to play like one of the best point guards in the country. And so when you're looking at these teams and you're looking at the teams around them, it, I think it's important to look at it through the lens of you can't say that Michigan State shouldn't be ranked because Cassius Winston is necessary for them to win. Because obviously Cassius Winston is necessary for them to win. That was the reason why they were ranked so high. You can't look at Louisville and say, well, Louisville should move outside the top five because Jordan Nuora 
is necessary for them to win. Well, obviously he is. He's an early season uh, All-American. Like, you can't... I, th- I think that people have a tendency to, to look too much at depth um, when they're looking at teams that have one obvious star. Uh, and on the flip mm-hmm. side, they look at other teams that don't have obvious stars and maybe discount them a bit. Um, like, a, you know, a team like Butler or... Ohio yeah, State or Ohio State um, that doesn't necessarily have that star that just stands out, and, and they ask questions like, "Well, in crunch time, who's going to score?" And so, I think taking I think taking the team's uh, performance on average as opposed to looking at you know they're a, they're a one score score or two score team versus a five or six kind of slightly lesser score team. Um, as long as they're scoring points you know, they're going to be good. And when it comes down to the national, winning the national championship, I mean, you just need Nora or Miles Powell to, to go on a six-game tear. And both of them are obviously able to capable of doing that. And the defenses really aren't reliant on any one player for the most part. I mean, other, other than, than maybe, you know, if, if Kansas lost Azubuki and DeSouza, their, their interior defense might drop a bit. But, like, it's, it's, it's a give and take, and I think that you're right, where when we look at it through a football lens and one loss in football means everything, um, you know, in basketball, I mean, we could easily have the number one team in the country entering the NCAA tournament with four or five losses this season. I would even go as high as six or seven, potentially, just w- with the way the season's going. Um, and, and going back to your point with teams like Seton Hall, Michigan State, who have a catch points and a Miles Powell, they're, and, and the same thing with Louisville and, and Jordan Nuora, there are the flaws of, of having a focused scorer. Um, but come March, either a team is going to slow him down and they're going to lose early because of that, or they're going to win a championship because he goes on a Kemba-like run and carries them. You know, So you can look at it through both lenses as they have a guy who can carry them and win these games, or the supporting cast is good enough to pick up the slack if he's not doing well. So obviously you'd much rather have one of those guys than not have one of those guys. Um, it is important to have other players who can step up when teams take him away. But this year, because there's no great teams – that having a great player may matter more than other years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, outside of Ohio State, Dayton, um, you could probably throw Auburn in there. Every team has had a poor offensive showing for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. Gonzaga is one of the highest scoring offenses in the country, and their offense was absolutely handled by Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. So... You're looking at it, I mean, outside of Virginia and uh, UNC, most of these top 25 teams have shown glimpses of having an offense that is capable of winning the national championship. Yeah, and some of the teams that we were really negative on at the start of the season have stabilized. Uh, Virginia and UNC are are not the case, but Duke creeping back up in the rankings after losing to Stephen F. Austin. Kentucky creeping back up in the rankings after losing to Evansville and almost losing to Utah Valley. Uh, Kansas is back up at number two after they looked like we didn't know what they were going to be after the first couple games of the season. 
Michigan State does have some problems, but Tom Izzo could, can work those out. I, I think we're seeing things stabilize a little bit now. Into, into We're getting to where we know kind of more who teams are. I just think it, it, it's funny and important to remember the fact that we need to look at things on a, on a longer-term perspective instead of just a one-game scenario. But one thing I, I want to talk to you about, Connor, I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Because there's no great teams, and we've seen these kind of fluctuations, as the power conferences get into conference play, we're going to see a lot of, a lot of them lose. Is that going to open the door for teams like Gonzaga and Dayton, the mid-majors, who aren't going to play a tough competition on a weekly basis to get really high rankings that they may not have in another season simply because they're not going to lose and kind of just keep creeping up the AP poll? Yeah, I, I would probably say that um, that's the case. I also think that more so than in the past, well, maybe not so, not more so for Dayton because it looks like Dayton's on a tier by themselves with VCU probably a tier below and and the rest of the A10 in, in a third tier. Uh, but but for mm-hmm. Gonzaga, you know, I think that this is one of the situations in which I don't necessarily think they're vulnerable in terms of matchups and style of play to BYU and St. Mary's, but I think it's probably the strongest that BYU and St. Mary's have been together in one season in probably five or six years. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean, do I, I would look at it this way: we may go three weeks, four weeks, and Gonzaga or Dayton could win every game, and we not know if they're any better than you know, a Duke team that may lose three times in that week or a Kentucky team that may lose three times in the week. But because Duke and Kentucky lost three times, ranked teams, Gonzaga and Dayton will then jump ahead of them because they keep winning. Right. Yeah, I, I think because of the reactionary type of of voting that uh, happens, in the, especially in the AP poll, we could see a Gonzaga or a Dayton or even, I mean, if they continue playing as they are, a San Diego State, move their way up yeah. into the top five, um, top three. Survive that San Jose State game and <laughs> all clear. Um, but, you know, I think the coaches poll might be a little bit tougher because I think coaches understand that, you know, an Ohio State team losing at Michigan and Ann Arbor is probably better than a close win or even a, a 10 to 15 point win by Gonzaga, you know, in Portland. So, um, I think Gonzaga and Dayton probably have the best shot at being ranked number one out of the mid-major ranks. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, there are teams that are starting to get it together, and if they get it together and the rest of their conference doesn't, you know, how much do we think, you know, I think Louisville and Duke right now are playing the best basketball in the ACC by a pretty decent margin. Sure. So how many games in the ACC do we really think that they're going to to lose? I mean, some of the middle – I actually think that the middle of the ACC might be getting it together faster than than UNC, um, who's the fourth-ranked team in the ACC. So uh, – That's fair. One, one point I'll bring up about UNC, too, and I do think they have um, very obvious offensive problems, uh, kind of to the extreme with the one player leading the way that we talk about. It's Cole Anthony, and it is nobody else on that team and it's rough at the same time they played the two best defenses in the country the past week and yeah. ohio state and virginia who were able to take cole anthony away and make the other players unc had beat them when they weren't able to unc is not going to look this bad 
for the rest of the season. I, they're not going to be as good as people thought they were going to be. We're hoping they would be maybe because this is a very real flaw, but the flaw is not going to limit them to the extent that it has the past week because then every defense they're going to play is going to have the same capability as Ohio State and Virginia have. Yeah. So that's, that's important to remember as well. And I, I, I bring Gonzaga and Dayton up uh, as potential risers in the AP poll because each of them got really good wins, I thought, on Sunday to kind of, as we're winding down the non-conference slate here, Dayton handled St. Mary's in Phoenix. That game was, was never really close. Obi Toppin played well, uh, but everybody on Dayton contributed in a, in a big, big way in that game. And then Gonzaga going on the road beating Washington was big for them as well. And Washington's a fringe top 25 team. Um, but that's a big win for Gonzaga. And I think both of them have clearly solidified themselves, in my mind at least, as top 10 teams in the country, even when they go into their mid-major conference plays. I, I think we know that they belong sort of in that tier of teams nationally. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and I think Gonzaga is lucky in that they're going to be hitting teams kind of at the right time. Um, look, I I will continue to argue that Arizona probably has the best freshman trio in the country in Green, mm-hmm. Mannion, and uh, Najee. But I think that the rest of their team, and I said this, to, I mentioned this to someone the other day, put any one of those three players on Gonzaga's roster and they start immediately. Put any yeah. of the eight players in Gonzaga's rotation on Arizona's roster and they probably start and so you you have to wait till the rest of Arizona's team kind of catches up and the freshmen are able to take that next step because each of them outside of Najee each of them is you know both of them both the guards have shown uh that there are some growing pains or or at least you know Manayan on on the defensive end and and Green hasn't been as consistent as the other two um and they're hitting UNC without Baycott most likely. So those two wins are going to be good on their resume, and I think it's going to push them up, and they're going to get lucky with when they play these teams. You know, they're a solid team, and I don't think that they're likely to lose in the WCC. Um, so it's all about performance. I mean, I think Gonzaga has shown to me where I was a little bit weary of them early on uh, that they're a team that kind of belongs in the top ten just because of their consistency and their ability to play with with experience and uh, with aggression. And I agree. I think that, that Dayton and Gonzaga have gotten the wins that they need to put themselves in that conversation for top five. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, it validates right. that. Right. And, and when you go and they start playing some of these lesser competition uh, on a week-to-week basis – the fact that they've gotten that validation is going to keep is going to allow, I think allow them to keep rising in the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, one team that I'm not sure has that validation uh, anymore, at least, is Virginia. After that, just dud of a performance they put up against Purdue, and we've talked all year about how bad their offense has been. It's been overlooked because their defense has been able to win them some really ugly games, and. I think because they kept winning, people wanted to overlook it, looking at the championship last year. But this Virginia team, I think, has some major problems. And I don't know what you can look to with them to show much promise 
I, I guess you could say. I think there's a lot of talent on the team, and they're going to be really good next year and the year after. But this year, I just don't think they have the offensive firepower to to compete at a high level on a consistent basis. And we saw that against Purdue, which is the first really le- legitimate defense they faced. Yeah, it's the first legitimate defense they faced. It's probably the first legitimate offense that they faced. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of Purdue, the only other top 50 offense that they faced is UNC. But as we discussed, UNC is prone to not score. Um, and, and Purdue showed. I mean, the issue with Virginia's defense, especially now, is they invite you to shoot slightly contested threes against them, hoping yeah. you don't make them. And when they have an offense, they can overcome a team that hits them. But when they don't have an offense, I don't know if they can keep up with with a team that just starts hitting threes. And it doesn't even have to be a good three-point shooting team. They just have to hit six, seven threes in a game. Uh, They just have to hit two or three in a row. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it throws the game in a tizzy. And they don't don't cause turnovers, so they can't get out in transition. Um, And they don't turn the ball over, so it becomes a back-and-forth game in the half court. But their half-court offense isn't good enough to score. And so yeah. I, I get that their their defense stifles people. It's what it does. And it, and it throws because contested threes are difficult to make, no matter who you are. But you get in, you get in a rhythm, and it's just I don't think that they have what it takes to win six games in a row. I don't think they have what it takes to win three games in a row in the NCAA tournament. I, I think, again, because their defense is so good, because teams are so bad this year, and depending on the matchups they get on that opening weekend, that they can win two games make the Sweet 16. But I don't think they're good enough offensively to play with teams that they're going to face at that level. Right. Because once you get reach the Sweet 16, you're getting a top four seed or a team that beat a top four seed. Um, right. And I think they could, I think with the way the NCAA tournament works, they could game plan that sweet 16 game. Uh, they're given five, five or six days to game plan for that game. But the elite eight game on a two, two day turnaround, I would put money against them just because I don't think that they have the, I mean, their defense never changes, so they're only really playing game planning for for the offense. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, who who do you, who scores? Right. I I think you're counting on Casey Morsell to be that guy, mm-hmm. to be a Kyle guy, Ty Jerome, and he has the potential to be. And so it's very easy to just kind of rely on him. But we've seen from him so far this year. A lot of inconsistency. And again, he's a freshman. It's his first month and a half of college basketball. That's going to happen. I, I think next year, year after, however long he's at Virginia, he's going to be a great player who kind of follows in that mold of a Kyle guy, Ty Jerome, three-year guy, gets drafted in the NBA, has a role there. But this year we're seeing some significant growing pains. And because he's your most obviously talented, obviously offensively talented perimeter player, Say that five times fast. 
I think they want to use him in a bigger role than he's ready for. And they don't have anybody who can sort of take that pressure off of him. And it's, I think, somewhat snowballed his confidence and, and led to some of this inconsistency, which in turn has caused Virginia to be inconsistent on that end, which we're seeing the problems that's causing. Yeah, and I and I think one of their biggest, in the past and now, one of their biggest advantages is their ability to slow the game down. And they run into a team that likes to play fast, likes to play in transition, likes to get to the basket, and all of a sudden they can't. It throws those teams off. But then you look at some of the top teams now. Ohio State doesn't play that fast. Louisville doesn't play particularly fast. Uh, Purdue, I mean, Purdue, Virginia was expected to be one of the slowest games of the season. Purdue doesn't play that fast. And I could go on. Butler doesn't play that fast. Oregon. (laughs) So these teams that are able to score and able to defend and don't really rely on a fast-paced game are, I think, well-equipped because I think they are more reliable offensively, obviously, than Virginia is. And their mm. their defense is doesn't even need to be good enough to stop Virginia. Virginia's offense will do that itself for the most part. And they can play at that pace. Right. Uh, they're running into a very obvious ceiling, I think. Um, there's the potential for them to go farther because, again, they're great at one thing. Um but they're they're running into a hard ceiling. Yeah. I, I want to shift gears a little bit because we're shifting, starting to shift a bit from non-conference to conference play, and we're seeing obviously there's still some uh, some pretty big non-conference games that have to happen here in the next couple of weeks. But with exams and winter break coming, uh, the schedule is going to slow down a lot, and the schedule is going to turn. Last year we saw a couple of teams that were okay in the non-conference, but may have underperformed that then sort of took off a conference play and became nationally relevant in a big way, the top of the polls. The LSU to me immediately comes to mind. I think they started eight and four last year, no real big wins, then ended up taking off and winning the SEC. I think this year is prime for similar runs for some teams because of how wide open everything is. And uh, the fact that, you know, the depth, uh, of the teams in the AP poll may have not be great. I think you look at one through five, then anybody else after that, maybe outside of 10, can be interchangeable. Is there anybody that you're looking at and maybe expecting more from once we get into conference play to make a real big push and become nationally relevant? <sighs> That's tough. I mean, I, obviously I'm not at the games, so I don't know about the atmospheres uh, entering this time of year, uh, and especially next year. I think that there are teams that are poised to put it together um, or, in the case of, like, a Kentucky, prove that they've put it together. Uh, Outside of that, I think there are a lot of teams kind of resting right on the border of the top 25 that have a couple big wins but just haven't had enough uh, of an opportunity or or even I guess the respect to to be considered in the top 25 um, Penn State comes to mind I, I think that Penn State probably should be ranked come next week but they probably won't be because they're Penn State uh, <laughs> you know I, I think I think uh, going off Penn State I think the Maryland win 
could be a major jumping off point for him. Right. Just as, as a season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know because as we've mentioned multiple times, this season's just been so crazy that, I mean, people really have it in their mind which teams are good and which teams aren't. Uh, yeah. I think Stanford, because of their schedule, has the an excellent opportunity to either make themselves relevant or become completely irrelevant in the matter of a couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Indiana, Purdue, with that win against Virginia, has an opportunity to go into Big Ten play and become massively relevant. Florida, if they can put... I'm, I'm out on Florida. I know I was so sold on them, but I am, I, I've watched that offense not do anything so many times now. I'm, I'm out. If they put in effort, and that's the issue, is that they just look so lazy on the court. Um they 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 don't cut with any sort of urgency. They're on the same three sets, and each set takes about ten seconds. And they dribble the ball out for twenty seconds and shoot it. It's very frust- it's very frustrating because they have so much talent that it should be so much better than they are. I I I, I would look at. I, I agree with Penn State, and I think the Big Ten. I think there's a, a clear top four in the Big Ten, right? With Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, and. Um, Ohio State, yep. that are very clearly top four. I think everything else is, is a coin flip. And so for a team like Penn State that has talent, that has experience, that now has a win like this, I think this could, this could springboard them. And I could see them being that fifth team in the Big Ten and being a team that's ranked uh, for a good portion of the season, potentially pulling off a couple more upsets along the way. And there are two more teams that I, I'm looking at. Uh, the first one is Pitt. I've been a bit higher on Pitt uh, than most, especially coming into the season. Uh, I love Xavier Johnson. Uh, Trey McGowan's is a great number two. They've got a shooter now. Um, so they're a team that, that is coming together and has found a way to win ugly games without Johnson playing his best, without McGowan's playing his best. If they can put it all together, which they've done at times, they're capable of finishing – seventh maybe even sixth in the acc and beating some good teams along the way and i think that could put them in the top 25 um and they, they have the star power uh, they have size they play really good defense it's just uh, inconsistent shooting and offensive execution and a lack of cohesion that comes with having a lot of new players on the roster that i i, I think we've seen hamper them and hold them back a bit early on in the season if they can figure it out and flip that switch, I think they could be a team that rises up. And I, I'm not trying to be a homer here, but I still love the pieces that South Carolina has on their team. They have gone through their annual December slump of losing just some really, really bad games. Their last out, they lost by 20 to Wichita State. So it's another team to watch out for. They bring, brought everybody back from last year. And Greg Marshall, an experienced team, um, somebody to, to watch out for. Uh, but they, they got smacked by Wichita in their last outing. They have some bad losses on the resume, something that, that they do every year. Last year, uh, I think there were Stony Brook and Wyoming that they lost to, and both of them were terrible. Um, 
but we know that they're going to be a really good defensive team with Frank Martin. They have some talented offensive players, A.J. Lawson being one of them. Uh, he's a borderline first-round pick. Jermaine Cousinard is somebody who, who can score in bunches off the bench. Uh, Keyshawn Bryant hasn't been healthy, so having him as a stretch four could provide something. I, I see them as having the pieces to make a jump up in a, a pretty open SEC. I don't know about getting ranked and all that, but I could see a rise coming from them. Yeah, and I think where you're talking about teams that obviously have had reasons not to be ranked, uh, whether it be multiple losses or um, right. low expectations. One thing I've noticed is as much as we've hammered the point that there's no great teams, there are a ton of one and two loss teams that haven't been talked about at all for whatever reason. No. You've got the Oklahoma Sooners, whose only loss came by a pretty, by what, nine point? No, 19 points to Stanford. Um and, but they beat Oregon State, they beat Minnesota, they beat Missouri, which aren't great teams. I mean, o- Oregon State is another one. They have one loss. It's to Oklahoma. Um, so whether it be because they have no great wins or one bad loss or two bad losses, there are a lot of teams that, especially at the high major level, are relying on their conference play to determine how they're talked about come March. Um and be, because they have those records, too, it's going to take one or two wins in conference play against respectable opponents before I think they're started to take, people start taking them seriously. Yeah. Because you've got... And, and, and two, uh, nobody's talking about Memphis. They're sitting there number 13, haven't had James Wiseman. They're another one-loss yep. team who had that loss to Oregon, top 10 team. And since then, they've taken care of business sometimes rocky, but taking care of business without their best player. And I'd, they were a team we talked about early on in the season as having the talent to make a Final Four, uh, yet they've sort of fallen off the, the map despite not losing any additional games. Yeah. I, I mean, nobody in the Americans being talked about. Wichita State looks good. Oh. Uh, UConn has two losses, but they've looked better than I thought they would this season. Um, mm-hmm. They're competitive. competitive. And, and – I'm just going to go through a lot of one-loss teams right now that are probably nowhere near the top 25 uh, in terms of the the perception. But you've got SMU and Wichita State out of the American. Um, every one-loss ACC, but you've got Texas, Oklahoma, West Virginia out of the Big 12 are all one-loss teams that aren't ranked. DePaul, I think people are still wary of DePaul because they're DePaul. Um, yep. But the, I think they're legitimately good. Yeah. I, I think they're a bubble team. But they're a one-loss team that hasn't been talked about. Uh, the Big Ten, which everyone is saying, you know, they're the best conference top to bottom, has probably more losses outside of, the you know, o- o- Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Maryland, and Indiana. Um, really, they're really good at the top. Yeah. But, other than that, but Indiana's another team, one-loss team, that, that hasn't, uh, you know, been even close to the ranking and I could go on but there's a ton of teams in those in those high major conferences that have played mediocre schedules um, mm-hmm. but come out of them rel- relatively unscathed that come conference time one of two things is going to happen and they're going to have to determine that but they all have the opportunity really to enter the conference conf- conference play with two maybe three losses when all is said and done by the end of the month uh, 
and then let their play determine whether they're talked out or not. It, it's setting itself up for there for there to be some surprise teams. A lot of those you mentioned mediocre schedules. They've all sort of played each other, but I, I think need that sort of signature win to validate what they're doing. And you can even look at teams that in the AP poll that are are sitting up there ranked pretty high, but yet don't have that validating win. Auburn is sitting there at number 12. They're 8-0 undefeated. I think kind of resting off what they did last year. They've been good this year, but don't have that sort of nationally recognized win to validate their start. Um, Butler's the same kind of way. Um, They could get it. They're currently playing Baylor as we're recording this, so they could get that against Baylor. But they're another team that's up there. You can look at Tennessee the same way, a one-loss team. That one loss was to Florida State, who's a pretty good team. but um, Or they beat Florida – yeah. No, they, they beat Washington. Beat Washington, lost to Florida State. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good wins, but not any that you're going to say we know for sure that they're legitimate. Um, Xavier, 9-1, and one, best win is probably Cincinnati, I would, I would think. Um, Colorado the same kind of way they're, these teams that are ranked because of pre, like you said, preseason expectations but we don't necessarily know if there's a big difference between them and some other, of those teams like Oklahoma and Oregon State because they haven't been validated and, and you can make the same argument honestly about Washington I don't know what to do with yeah. Washington because they did beat Baylor but Baylor is ranked as high as they are based on the fact that they've gotten better pretty much every week it seems like they there's something new that they do or you know they they play a certain way uh, where it just looks like they're getting better and they played Baylor on the first game day of the season Um, and so but since then they really haven't beaten played anybody outside of Tennessee and Gonzaga and they lost both these those games pretty convincingly so but they're the 27th highest point getter in the AP poll. And I think people are hanging their hat on that Baylor win as if that Baylor win in the first game of the season would be the same as beating Baylor today. Yeah. Well, and we know they're guys too yeah. because they have a couple first-round NBA prospects, yeah. which when you know you have that talent, I think from a voting perspective at least, you tend to think of them and better standing as some of those other teams. And they're a team that honestly might not have one of those those opportunities to really build a, a big win um, outside of they play Oregon once and they play Arizona once. Oregon at home, Arizona on the road. Um, they, they lose both their games and their entire seeding is based on that Baylor win. Yeah. It kind of comes back to Washington – Last yep. year, where they had a lot of wins and a bad Pac-12 and no real good yeah. ones. Um, okay, I want to start looking at the week ahead now. The rest of this week, uh, from a, a weekday standpoint, is rough. We're not going to get really any good games. Um, Thursday, we got Iowa, Iowa State, uh, which will be fun. Um, but that's really the only notable game that night. Um Friday, same kind of way, but this weekend is going to be a lot of fun. Saturday at noon, we have Oregon and Michigan. Yep. 
noon Eastern, Eastern time. It's 9 a.m. for me. Noon I'll Eastern. be up for that. 9 oh, yeah, wake up, eat some, eat some pancakes. <laughs> 3 o'clock Eastern then, we got Memphis and Tennessee. Would be awesome if James Wiseman was eligible for that, but he's not. Should still be a really good game, though. Uh, Seton Hall and Rutgers at 4 uh, could be fun. Seton Hall needs a win. Rutgers, not a pushover, but that's a, a good rivalry game. Georgia Tech, Kentucky. Kentucky should win that pretty easily. Uh, but then the nightcap at 10 o'clock Eastern, that Gonzaga-Arizona game, I think has the potential to be the game of the and, week. And the most unfortunate part of that is that I will be at the St. Mary's Cal game that night. So <laughs> oh I'm going gonna, gonna to be watching the uh, the – the lesser of the two uh, <laughs> WCC versus Pac-12 matchups. But no, that, that Gonzaga-Arizona game should be incredibly fun. Uh, it's gonna, I mean, it's going to come down to does depth beat Arizona's star players is really what I think it's going to come down to. I think as much as you've had concerns about Gonzaga's backcourt, which are warranted, I, w- I will say, I will interject real quick. Big fan of Joel Iyayi. Mm-hmm. I think he's awesome and it's going to be the difference between how far or Gonzaga making a long run or not making a long yeah. run. I think he's spectacular. I think it's going to come down to Gonzaga's backcourt on the offensive end because Gonzaga has an advantage in the front court with Killian Tillian and Petrusev up against Chase Jeter and Zeke Nagy. On the defensive end, I think it's probably a wash. I think Arizona probably has the advantage. But Nico Mannion's going to have to defend somebody. And while I'm not a fan of Dylan Smith on the defensive end for Arizona, Mannion is is one of the... There's, there's a very disparate performance difference between him on the offensive end and him on the defensive end. He's a liability. Yeah. He is a defensive liability. But his offense is such that they have to keep him on the court. It's right. it's and you probably put him on Ryan Woolrich over uh Ayai or Kispert, but Woolridge too can get to the basket and do things around there. So I think that's where it's going to be won and lost, um, particularly in this matchup, is Gonzaga's backcourt on the offensive end. Because everything else, tit for tat, give and take here and there, it, it's pretty much even. But that's the biggest That's the biggest thing. If, if Nico Mannion can somehow figure out how to put an effort in on the defensive end, because I think that's really what it is, is effort. He, I know uh, they were criticizing him against Baylor because he just didn't put in any effort. Yeah. Um, so if he can put in effort, I think that it'll be a, a good game and Arizona probably wins, but if Ryan Woolridge can take advantage of it, cause that's who I am assuming he will be matched up against. I think Gonzaga wins that game. I will say this about Arizona. I think they need to put forth, they may not need to beat Gonzaga, but at least put forth a good showing and make it extremely close. Yeah. They're nine and one, and I think we validated them early on because of the way they blew out Illinois at home the first week of the season. 
And at this point, it's kind of crazy to say a team's really good because they beat Illinois. Because Illinois has struggled uh, to a level we didn't expect them to necessarily. And since then, Arizona hasn't played anybody really. Um, they did beat your coveted New Mexico State, albeit a, a shorthanded Aggies team, but struggled with Lake Forest, struggled with Penn, struggled with Pepperdine, lost to Baylor. The defensive questions are real. And I think if Gonzaga handles them, which is not out of the realm of possibility, or at least wins comfortably, we're going to start to take a look at just how good this Arizona team actually is because uh, they may not be. I I don't think as a team they're, they're all that great. I think they have three excellent players. Uh, Dylan Smith has been a pleasant surprise. Chase Jeter is what Chase Jeter is. I mean, he's kind of playing as well as he's always played. But they run, what, six deep? Um yeah. They're not using Max Hazard, which I don't necessarily think is is all that surprising. But uh, they're they're using Jamal Baker more than he more than Hazard. Um, That's a, the thing with grad transfers. I'm going to go off on a, on a tangent here. We see this all the time. We see it at UNC with Christian Keeling and Justin Pierce, guys who transferred in from Charleston Southern and William and Mary. We saw it at Villanova last year with Joe Cremo coming in from Albany. We're seeing it with Max Hazard coming in from UC Irvine, guys who go from mid-major ranks to power conferences. They're expected to play big roles and become vital cogs, and sometimes they do. But more often than not, they play like guys who are mid-major players and who supply that level of competition and aren't necessarily good enough or equipped or ready to handle the kind of role that they'll play against quality teams on a, on a day-to-day basis. Like, I think it's important to remember some of these guys that they were there for a reason. And, and they can be really good while they were there, and they can contribute something to your team, but may not be the player that you want them to be for you. And I think that's where you have to put give credit to coaches like Mark Few, Dana Altman. 100%. Because um, Dana Altman has two grad transfers on his team from, uh, granted, Mountain West is a different level of competition from the Big West but that are playing right. huge roles. Uh, but the, both, both coaches are not known for going after, you know, uh, top 10 talent and getting them. They're, they're known for taking mid-level top 100 talent, um, transfers, players that might have been overlooked and turning them into, giving them big roles and watching them flourish. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to credit those, you know, coaches like that who can take those talent. But I agree. A lot of these players uh, that come in as grad transfers, I think we give them too much credit for what they did at the mid-major level. And then we don't realize that the talent disparity between them coming into college and maybe a Jamerl Baker uh, or, or the like, uh, is just, it's just different. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, back back to what you were saying about Arizona and them not using. Hazard. Yeah, I just I sorry just think it was kind of surprising. I expected I expected at least Hazard to have a, a bigger role than Baker, but it doesn't seem like it, it is yeah. that way. Um, I'm really excited about this Oregon Michigan matchup. I think it's it's yeah. awesome. As much as as uh, 
people might be disappointed. It's awesome that we essentially got a round robin between the top four teams in the Maui or the Battle for Atlanta. Sorry, um, because Oregon and UNC both lost, we were able to kind of get those teams playing three games against each other, four games against each other. Um, and so, because Gonzaga plays UNC later this month, I liked I. I'm hesitant to say I liked the rematch between Seton Hall and Iowa State, but I think it was a good opportunity for Iowa State to pick up a yeah. a solid non-conference win. Um, but this Oregon-Michigan matchup is going to be great. I think it will change the perception of both mm-hmm. teams depending on the outcome. Oregon wins. Uh, it validates them as a top-10 team, uh, kind of who we thought they would be before the season started. If they lose, then you're looking at a team that has lost to UNC, lost to Gonzaga, lost to now Michigan. And while they have the win over Memphis, people may not think of them as being sort of in that top tier of teams. Maybe in that second tier, 10 to 20 ranked, but maybe not in in that top tier. Michigan, if they lose, suddenly becomes they just had a great week at a tournament where they got hot and maybe aren't really that good. If they win, suddenly that one loss, which came at Louisville a couple days after Atlantis when they had traveled and were just ice cold from the field, I think people start to look at that as an aberration and get back to thinking about them the way we thought about them right after Atlantis when I I thought they were the best team in the country. So I I think, obviously, this isn't going to make or break the season for either team, but I do think there's a lot on the line for both in terms of perception around the country right. it's kind of unfortunate that all the good matchups are on saturday because sunday's not much not much better than the, the weekdays um no at least from a taking advantage of college basketball being gone, yeah that, or college football being gone excuse me at least from a high major perspective um outside yeah. of oklahoma state and, and houston kind of playing to see who they are uh, and south carolina playing at clemson in a game that they probably should win if they're in that you know tournament echelon of, of teams but um outside of that i mean between now and next wednesday it's it's saturday really that's it yeah okay so since it's just saturday yes. give me your bold prediction for saturday uh shoot i i, I think the home team wins in in all three of those those big matchups <laughs> i think tennessee wins i think arizona wins i think uh, Michigan wins, which probably means that Oregon, Memphis, and Gonzaga all win. Um, huh. I'll, I'll give I'll give you mine. Um, I think that well, I think there'll be a lot of overreaction to the results of, of game of the games. Um, I think Tennessee wins. Um, there's there's going to be a positive or negative referendum on Memphis in terms of whether they're legitimate or terrible, um, what happens to Tennessee, I think. Talk about the Oregon-Michigan game. I think Gonzaga beats Arizona. And my bold prediction is that I think the conversation after that is going to be about if Arizona is actually good. Yeah. I mean, and, and, sort of, and, and question um, sort of their standing nationally in the Pac-12 um, if they're in danger of missing, I don't want to say in danger of missing the tournament again, 
but questions as to how good they are and, and where they stand nationally and in conference. Yeah, the the I know the second week of the season, it looked like the Pac-12 was was one of the two best conferences in, in the country. If Gonzaga beats Arizona, Michigan beats Oregon. Uh, we already know that Washington has lost to basically every good team they've played except for Baylor in the first game of the season. No one's going to give Stanford any credit. Colorado doesn't have a good win. They lost by a lot to Kansas. Were we too quick to announce that, at least at, from a from a top perspective, that the Pac-12 is bad? Yeah. The middle of the Pac-12, I agree. The Pac-12 from 1 through 10, maybe maybe 11, if you want to put Washington State, is definitely better than it has been the last three years. But from a the Pac-12 can compete from a two, for a national championship perspective. If all three of those, or both those teams lose, do you think that the conversation next week is we were too, we were too quick in announcing pa- the Pac-12 back as a conference? Yes. They are still leaps and bounds above where they were last year. Um, but I, I think they... I think if they win those games or won a couple of those games, they're still in that conversation um, from both a teams at the top and depth standpoint. But suddenly they've become way behind the Big Ten, probably behind the Big 12, probably behind the Big East from a depth perspective. Um, then you start wondering sort of where they stand with the ACC and the SEC. And you have that conversation. Pac-12 might, be, might view them as the worst power conference yet again. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but we were definitely – there's a lot on the line for the conference this weekend, let's put it that way. I will say that I think they're better as a whole than the A-10 and the American, which is not something that I would necessarily have said last year or the year before. That's true. So they're, they're at least back to that echelon of they are a legitimate force, power, power six. six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, even even outside, there's there's really three good matchups. If I were to make a bold prediction, Penny Hardaway and Rick Barnes get into a fist fight on the side of the lines. Honestly, if I were to make make a bold prediction, I think that St. Louis Auburn game is going to be closer than most people are expecting, um, and that's probably the only bold prediction that I'm going to say. Auburn win, yes, but I don't think it's a case of they're going to blow St. Louis out of the water, uh, especially. Yeah. St. Louis is too good defensively. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's going to be closer. I think it's going to be a matter of two or three buckets either way. That's I know that's not bold, but this week is not conducive. It feels like we're on a we, – we talk about this every week. There's just – with these 20-game conference – see slates and you know teams now only have to play three or four big games and then they play a bunch of feeder games to get their net rating up uh the it it feels like and it's i'm not probably not correct in saying this but it feels like there's fewer games of substance each week than there has have been in the past yeah for sure and that comes with there being I think a lack of substantive teams around the country. You know, there's a lot of games where we're still finding things out as opposed to legitimate showdowns. Yeah. 
and eventually at the end of the season, we're going to have to look back and some of these games where we say, you know, that win's not really that good because that team's not that good. We might be saying, well, they, they might not look that good, but they're still a top 50 team. Um, there's going to probably be a lot of surprising quadrant one wins that at this point in the season, we're looking at as, oh, that team's not that good. But then we get to the point where, okay, they're a top 50 team on the road. Yeah, those backdoor quadrant one yeah. wins. That, yeah, what, weren't at the time, but look really good at the end of the year. So it's going to be crazy. I, Ohio State, I will say, is creeping more towards an all-time great team than I expected them to, and I'm starting to, to mm-hmm. remove myself from, from the – there are no all-time great teams this season. They're, they're not quite there yet, but they're approaching that for me. Uh, if they get one or two more big wins. Let's get them through Kentucky, yes. Maryland, Penn State. Yeah. Do that, and I think, uh, or at least go 2-1 and one in that stretch. Yeah. And I think we could have that conversation. But um, I agree. If it's going to be anybody, it's going to be them because they are really, really good. They, they're the one team that – Gonzaga's good on offense. They're, it's the worst defense they've had since 2013. Auburn's good on offense. They don't look great on defense. Uh, Virginia looks great on defense, doesn't have a great offense. Louisville, Seton Hall, Michigan State, they all have one score, and if that score is going down, it's it's not going to look good for them. Right. Kansas is interesting. They're consistent. They're solid, one through five. I just don't think that there's enough there, really, to, to say that they're an all-time great team. Ohio State is the only team that I will say is a an elite team, at least from this year's perspective, on both ends of the floor. And that's all I say. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I know you've, and we have never really talked about this. We can use the last five minutes to talk, for three minutes to talk about this. Have have Has your opinion changed as to the front runners of uh, – player of the year as far as they go i thought miles powell was should have been the front runner beginning of the year uh, over cassius winston um i think winston's star has dimmed greatly because i think his reputation is built as a winner uh he's obviously a great player but isn't going to put up the kind of stat lines that jordan moore or miles powell or marcus howard guys like that will put up Put up good numbers, but a lot of his value is tied to what he brings to the table as a winning standpoint. And so Michigan State's not winning like they normally do, so I think his talk's taken a hit. Miles Powell has been incredible, um, and I, I would still put him sort of in the driver's seat, but Seton Hall has been hit or miss. Nora would have been up, up there, um, but his performance tonight obviously takes him down. Marcus Howard has had some great games but he's had some stinkers as well in classic Marcus Howard fashion. I don't think there's anybody that's necessarily stepped up in a big way. I think Vernon Carey is probably the guy for, for Duke who has built up the most, I guess, momentum from start of the season till, till now in terms of a gradual, consistent, positive buildup. But you're not going to put him ahead of any of those guys that I mentioned previously. Cole Anthony isn't going to be in that mix. James Wiseman took taking himself out with a suspension. I think it's like the Heisman race where 
or at least the Heisman race early on in the season before Joe Burrow ran away with it. It's why there, there's nobody who you point to and say, yep, they're definitely in it and doing everything right now. My question is, and we had this, it kind of harkens back. I'm going to pull this full circle, get back to the conversation we had very early on in this podcast. If Dayton finds themselves in a situation where they do what Gonzaga usually does, which is they just win enough games to get themselves ranked in the top five, do you think Obi Toppin has a chance? Or do you think because he plays for Dayton, it's going to be a situation like, a, I guess, a Brandon Clark from last year where people just don't really respect who he's played later in the season, so they don't put him in that conversation? I think Obi Toppin has a chance. I think the Maui stage was big in terms of getting his name out there. And playing in the A-10, Dayton's going to have a couple of marquee games against VCU. Um, maybe if Davidson gets better, you can put Davidson in there. Rhode Island, if they get good, Duquesne, if they keep winning. There's going to be some stages for him to perform. He's going to have to keep putting up ridiculous numbers for people to uh, tune in. Uh, but the, the stage is certainly set for them to take advantage of it if some of those other guys that I mentioned continue to sort of fade off. The difference between him and Brandon Clark, I think, is that Brandon Clark didn't come into the year or didn't spend the first month of the year as Gonzaga's best player or national player of the year. I, I was going to say that. The, the benefit. We can go back to Maui last yeah. year, and Hachimura was the star and the guy who was leading the player of the year race at that time. Yeah, and I was going to say that. While Toppin has one of the best supporting casts in the country, mm-hmm. he doesn't have that second player that's as good or better than him on any given night, really, like Hachimura and Brandon Clark. Uh, and even for that matter, I mean, there were games where Zach Norvell just decided, because Norvell was one of those players that just decided when he wanted to hit threes and when he didn't. Um, every game that Dayton wins... Obi Toppin is pretty much the reason why. And you can't really say that about Gonzaga's players last year because every game was different. And so I think if they get into that top 10, especially if they're in that top five conversation because they just keep winning and teams keep losing, I'd probably say that he's right up there with Miles Powell in terms of uh, favorites to win the player of the year. Yeah. I agree with that. So with that... I know this is a long one, but we, we had a lot to talk about. There's been a lot of turnover, um, especially in the, in the middle to the back end of, of the top 25, but, but even at the top end with, with Louisville and Maryland both losing. Uh, but that, that's it for me. For my co-host, Brian Ralph, we will talk to you next week. Bye.